0: Tonight we've got three shorter readings. So the first reading, are we going in order of the new sheet, Ben, for the slides or is it the first reading, Ephesians? Ephesians, cool. So flip to the back of your new sheet or to Ephesians chapter four, verses seven to 16 in your Bible. Ephesians chapter four, verse seven to 16. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We've got the second reading now. I'll just wait to see which one it is. We'll go to Philippians next, fabulous. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, my dear friends, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And the final reading is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see as He is, for we shall see him as He is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as He is pure. Amen.:
1: Thanks, Sophie. I want to show you guys uh, the most sanctified item in my household. This bowl uh, is the most sanctified thing that I have in my house. Uh, a long time ago. For one of my wife Ronnie's birthdays, she got given a, a Turkish bowl and jug uh, from someone really special to her. Uh, and it was a very, very precious item, this matching bowl and jug. Um, but one day, a few years into owning it, the bowl broke. Uh, it was really, really significant. Ronnie was really um, upset. It's been a really, really meaningful thing for her. Uh, and so a little while later, I was going on a study tour to Europe. Uh, And on the way home, stopped off in Istanbul uh, to find a bowl that matched the jug for her from the the market in Istanbul there. So I brought her home this uh, from Istanbul. So it was already special from someone else, and that kind of made it even more special for her. So this bowl has become the most holy, the most sanctified thing in our house. Maybe you have something like that in your house. Maybe your mum has something like this in her house. Maybe a set of knives and forks that never get used. Maybe some special item that just stays wrapped up in bubble wrap. I had to take this out of bubble wrap to bring it in tonight, and we've had it for like 10 years. (laughs) Every Christmas, just before Christmas, uh, Ronnie gets this bowl out uh, and considers using it for Christmas and decides no and wraps it up (laughs) and puts it away again back in the cupboard for the next year. What is it that makes this bowl sanctified what is it that makes this bowl holy we're thinking about sanctification tonight it's a really big bible word i'm going to put this down here because i don't want to hold that and i can see the stress in your face about me holding it no one go anywhere near it uh, We're talking about being sanctified, the concept of sanctification. It's one of these big Bible words. If you've been around church for a while, you've heard it lots. Maybe you feel like you know what it is. Uh, Maybe it's actually a bit of a confusing word. Let me tell you what it means and tell you why this bowl is a sanctified bowl. To sanctify something means to set something apart for a special use or purpose to set something apart for a special use or purpose. That's what the word means, and that's what God does in every Christian. So the New Testament is written uh, originally in Greek, right, not in English, And, and the Greek word that we get sanctified from is and from that word comes sanctify, sanctification, also the word saint and the word holy, even though it sounds different in English, they're all from the same uh, word in the Greek. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, it is God's project in you to set you apart for a special use or purpose. That's what God is doing as he sanctifies you. And tonight we're, gonna, we're kind of going to do a deep dive into this concept of sanctification. And we're going to ask about three kind of dynamics of sanctification, And you can see these three headings uh, in the booklet there that you got on the way in. Here's, here's the point. God's plan for your life is way bigger than you thought. His plan for your life is way bigger than you thought. He is doing something amazing as he sanctifies you. So we're in the third week of our Come, Follow Me series as we explore the journey of discipleship, of walking with Jesus. And we began a couple of weeks ago by hearing that first kind of call of Jesus to come, to follow him, to walk with him, inviting us to learn from him, to sit at his feet, to give our lives to him. He's called us to a life of costly discipleship. He talks about picking up our cross, laying down our lives, and following him. Last week, then, uh, Larissa led us in thinking about abiding in Jesus or remaining in Jesus, attaching our inner lives to his. Uh, Like the language of John 15 uses, branches drawing life, drawing goodness from their vine. And, And tonight, then, we're going to see what happens when we do remain in Jesus, when we are branches connected to Christ, our vine. What happens then? Because right? remember in John 15, he promised that those who remain in him, he would nurture and he would prune to be fruitful. So we're thinking about what does that look like? How does he nurture us? How does he make us fruitful? We're talking about the journey of sanctification, the shape of sanctification, and the agents of sanctification. So first, let's think about the, the journey of sanctification. Which of these statements are true? I'll say them and then I'll say them again. I want you to put your hand up which one you think is true. Which can a Christian say? I am sanctified, I am being sanctified, or I will be sanctified. So can a Christian say I am sanctified? Hands up if you think so. Maybe, yeah, yeah. What, what about I am being sanctified? What about, I will be sanctified? Yeah, okay, so there's a, there's a bit of a mix there, right? They're all true. All those statements are true. A Christian can say all of those things about themselves. We're talking about our sanctification in the past, in the present, and in the future. So have a look at these, these words are from Philippians 1. We're going to kind of pick these apart a bit. Paul tells his friends that he's praying for them, and he says he's praying for them confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you see past, present, and future in his language there? So first, God, God began a good work in you before you were even born, before even the foundation of the world. God chose you to be his child, to be his follower, to be saved. He marked you out even before the foundation of the world. And at the moment of your salvation, that was made uh that, that was experienced, that was made true, that came to be true, what God knew of you. God set you apart. He sanctified you at your salvation, right? The, the theologians will talk about this as positional sanctification. So your position has changed. He's taken you and he's set you apart. He's moved you into a new position. That happened in the past if you're a Christian. It happened at your salvation, and there are lots of places throughout the New Testament. You've got some in your notes uh, in, the, in the booklet there that talk about Christians as those who have been sanctified. Or sometimes it'll use the word who are holy, which remember, that's, that's the same word. It's already come about. It's a past tense event. It's already happened. What were Jesus' words on the cross? It is finished. If you're a Christian... God has set you apart. He has claimed you. He has made you his. You are a child of God. Right? Like, like you're a child of your parents, that, that identity is an unchangeable reality, which you experience now, but which was established in the past. You could be on the other side of the world to your parents, and many of us are, far away from our parents. You might not even know your parents, but you are inextricably biologically linked to them. Being their child is unchangeable, and your identity as a child of God is established by him and unchangeable. You have been sanctified, and you are being sanctified. So look at Philippians 1, 6 again. He who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can you see ongoing sanctification and future sanctification there? God will carry on his work in you to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. On the day of Christ Jesus, that day in the future, when all things are brought to their their end, their culmination, your, your being set apart will be complete. It will be done. It will be a finished project. You'll be finally set apart from the presence and even the possibility of sin as you come face to face with God and you're made perfectly holy. So if your sanctification in the past was positional, then your sanctification in the future is referred to as as perfected. It's your perfected sanctification. The Bible also uses the word glorification for this. No more sin, no more struggle, no more transformation because your transformation is complete. So sanctification when you were saved, perfect sanctification one day in heaven, How do you get from one to the other? Well, that's God carrying on his good work to completion in you, right? This is is, uh, your progressive sanctification. It's the ongoing, incomplete, lifelong, maturing process of a Christian. And across that life of discipleship, we slowly kill sin, Right, we're gradually conformed to the image of Christ, we get closer and closer to that perfect sanctification, which will only finally come at the end. And that, that journey, that transformation of our lives, is powered by God himself, by God the Holy Spirit. And it's part of the Christian life for every Christian. It's not possible for someone to be saved, to be set apart back here, and to be unchanged. That's not how the gospel works. God's plan for your life is bigger than you thought. He will carry on his good work in you to completion. He does not leave you as you were. You can think of God's life like a beautiful, long tapestry. God's work in your life as a beautiful, long tapestry, like the whole wall. But imagine the tapestry is hanging facing away from us. We only see the back. And as we walk through life, what do we see? We see raggedy threads. We see mess on the back of the tapestry. We see some glimpses, some flashes of color, some hints of the beauty on the other side. But there's a day coming where you will reach the end of your life. You'll reach the end of the tapestry. And as you round the end all the glory and the beauty of everything that God was doing will be revealed. Those things that we only saw in part, that we only saw the back of, we will see in full, glorious color. So have you seen glimpses, flashes of God's work in your life so far? Maybe there's some huge things you can point to, some ways that God's turned your life upside down. Or maybe it's, maybe it's harder for you to see. Well, be, be encouraged and challenged that God is working in you by his spirit. He will do amazing things in you. He is weaving that beautiful tapestry to its end, even if you only see the back. One author, Leighton Ford, he put it like this. He says, God loves you exactly the way you are, and he loves you too much to leave you that way. Imagine a child, right, buying one of those uh, model boats to assemble in a thousand different pieces, right? When does it become his boat? Is it when he buys it from the store in, in countless small pieces, but all the parts are there in the box? Is it during construction, as he, as he carefully and painstakingly attaches each piece to the next? Or is it when the model boat is finally complete, mounted, painted, just the way that he thought it would be when he bought it? Well, it, It's all of them, isn't it? That's, that's God's sanctifying work in you. That's the life of discipleship, the journey of sanctification, God completing the work that he has already begun in you. What should we expect this to look like then? If we if we just see kind of flashes, if we just see the back of the tapestry with hints of what God's doing in us. What should we see? How should it look? This is the, the shape of sanctification, our second uh, dynamic of God's transforming work in us. People think about this differently, right? And there, there are three ways that you might go here. Two misunderstandings or two errors uh, and then a, a right middle way. So you might have two high expectations for God's sanctifying work in your life. Your expectations for what sanctification looks like might be too high. And if you, if you make that misunderstanding, if you follow that path, you'll expect or you'll, you'll hope for what is only going to come about in that final sanctification to be experienced now in this lifetime. And this misunderstanding has actually cropped up a lot of times and places throughout the history of the church. It's often referred to as sinless perfectionism. It's a doctrine which holds that Christians can completely, or, or close to completely, defeat sin in this present life and live holy lives just like Jesus did. Which at one level sounds really appealing, right? We want to be holy. We want to be like Jesus, And Jesus does call us to be like him, and he does promise amazing power to his followers to live holy lives. However, the Bible also says that if we claim to be without sin, and this is to believers, then we deceive ourselves. It says that there's a lifelong fight between our old selves and our new selves. There's a story that goes um, that Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher back in the 19th century, he was at an event where one of the other preachers taught sinless perfectionism, and even claimed to have reached sinlessness himself. But instead of debating him on stage, Spurgeon waited until breakfast the next morning where he walked up to the guy and poured a jug of milk over his head and got exactly the kind of ungodly rage response that he was looking for. Sinless perfectionism, uh, it is is out there. I've personally walked alongside some young believers from another church in Melbourne who've got caught up in this and left their churches and joined a kind of fringy house church that teaches this. It's a real possibility. But you know what? I reckon probably for most of us here, we're much more likely to pursue the opposite misunderstanding. Too many of us have too low expectations for our sanctification. Right, we know we're good that we've been saved by grace through faith. We're good on that past event, on our positional sanctification, and we're looking forward to our perfect sanctification one day in heaven, but we kind of just leave it there and we don't really expect to see our lives radically transformed by the Holy Spirit of God. One writer puts it like this, if there is an equal and opposite error to sinless perfectionism, then it is shrugging your shoulders at sin's inevitability. Sin is just a part of life, and I'm okay with that. If if you're a Christian... Do you do you think of yourself as a sinner or a saint? How do you speak about yourself? When you pray, how do you come before God? Is it as a sinner or a saint? Or if you're a Christian, you're a saint you've been sanctified, you've been set apart for God's special use and purpose. And at your salvation, and in God's sovereign election before the creation of the world, you've been set apart for God. You are a saint. Your identity is not sinner. You sin, yeah, me too. But your deep down identity is no longer sinner your deep down down identity is child of God, new creation temple of the Holy Spirit, a set apart one So, so you can fight sin and win you're not going to achieve perfection but you can beat sin you can grow. You can move forward. You can put to death bitterness. You can throw a porn addiction. You can change. And you won't reach the bottom of the list of sins, right? As you fight and defeat sin, God will reveal more of it for you to fight. He shows us as much as we can handle, and as we move forward, he keeps leading us forward further into holiness through sin that you don't even realize is there yet. But this, this matters so much because the whole journey of discipleship becomes a journey of you becoming who you are. Becoming who you are. That's one of the, the absolute kind of key ways that the Bible talks about the life of discipleship is becoming who you are. I think this is really important for us to get. I think this is really important for us to to feel. So we're gonna we're gonna pause for a sec and we're gonna have confession now, which we normally have at a different point in a service, but I want us to to pray these words of confession together feeling that reality that we have been set apart that we have been sanctified that we are children of God so so you can see some some words to confess our sin together out of this truth when we come to confess sin we don't come as dirty sinners on our knees pleading for forgiveness we come as children of God. We approach the throne of grace with confidence, thanking God for what he's done and praying that he would keep transforming us, bringing us closer to that final sanctification. So we're going we're to say these words together to confess sin and to, to rest in, to enjoy the truth of being forgiven children of God. So if, if you're a Christian... Uh, why Why don't we say these words together? Father in heaven, we come to you as your children. You have sanctified us and made us yours. You will complete the work you have begun in us. But until your work is complete, Lord, we still struggle with sin in so many ways. So please continue sanctifying us. Transform us Renew us, sanctify us until your work is complete. Do it for Jesus' glory. Amen. You know when you, you meet or hear about Christians whose lives are just fully sold out for Jesus, who have given up this world for the glory of Christ, those are, those are amazing and inspiring stories, right? Amazing and inspiring people. I want you to know that your life, powered by the Spirit of God, can be like that. Why not? Right? What, what could be more powerful than the Holy Spirit of God working in you to transform you, to change you, to make you more like Jesus? God did it He's doing it, and he will do it in you. And we should expect it to be amazing, right? Let's not settle for too low expectations of our sanctification. Because God does it by the power of his Spirit, right? We don't need to settle for minimal change. We don't need to settle for just keeping our sin kind of managed and hidden. We can look for and hope for and work for radical transformation. And that's, that's the third big question, the third dynamic of our sanctification, I think. How? How should we work for it? If our sanctification is the work of God in us, then what's our contribution to it? So final dynamic of sanctification, this is the, the agents of sanctification. Philippians 2 that Sophie read for us before put it this way, it said therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose so God invites us to participate in our own sanctification, to be active agents, players in our own sanctification. Think of Jesus himself, right? And the first disciples who walked the, the dusty streets with him. Right? It was him who carried the power of God. He was the wisdom and the miracles and the teaching. He taught them, he role-modeled life to them. But they still had to leave their nets to follow him, right? Right? They still had to wake up each morning and decide, am I going to keep walking with Jesus today or not? They walked with him for days and days and years. They helped in his ministry. They were given opportunities to teach and lead as well. Jesus sanctified them each day as they kept following him. And they did it together. Because, see, there's there's a third agent in our sanctification, isn't there? There's God there's us, and there's each other. The patterns of our life together, which seem normal and and kind of regular, maybe sometimes unexciting, are deeply meaningful and significant resources for our discipleship, for our transformation by the Spirit of God. So church on Sundays, being here, serving, small group, these are the kind of down-to-earth, everyday, practical expressions of this spiritual journey of sanctification. And we need, we need a web of discipleship relationships around us. Right? So there's a little, a little kind of diagram uh, in a booklet there to help us think about this. We need discipleship relationships with people alongside us and people ahead of us And people behind us. So I wonder who could you name in your life in each of those dimensions? Who are you walking alongside? Larissa encouraged us to think about this before uh, thinking about co walkers. Who are the people doing Christian life with you? Who are encouraging you, who you are encouraging? Who who is sharing your your real selves, not just kind of surface level friendships through shared activities, but deep sharing of who you are and who they are, the kind of friendships that actually help you grow in faith. Who are the, the relationships alongside you? Who are those ahead of you? Who do you look up to? Who do you imitate? Who do you learn from? We need people in our Christian life who've walked further than us, who can tell us what's coming up on the road, who can help us as we walk along. That's something we all need in our lives, and and it's something that, particularly in this season of life and in our life together at Uni Church, can sometimes be hard to find. Right. So I want to encourage you again, like we like we heard about earlier in the service, to really make the most of the men's and women's ministries in our life as a church they're a really really key way that we're trying to equip and resource one another to find these kind of relationships in our lives people ahead of us in the Christian journey who can encourage us and help us walk with Christ we need people alongside us we need people ahead of us and we need people behind us We might not kind of feel like we are, but if there are people who are ahead of us in the Christian walk, then there are people who are behind us in the Christian walk as well who haven't come as far along the road yet. And we have the the opportunity, the responsibility to to encourage them and serve them and help them walk along as well. Some of us serve in, in youth and kids ministries at St. Jude's. That's a great way of doing that. But maybe there's just Christians in your life as well who are not as far along the journey as you are, who you can encourage. They might not even be that much younger than you. You might be third year trying to encourage a first year to, to learn to live for Jesus at uni, right? You might be the same age, but one of you just been Christian a bit longer and you, you know a bit more, and so you can help the other person walk with you. this kind of web of relationships, this is that the dynamic and relational picture that we read about in Ephesians 4. It said, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Can you see those discipleship dynamics playing out there? Those different relationships in the church. Right, and it's all focused, it's all pointed towards Christ. He's he's the, the well, he's the second and the last word in that passage, right? He's the beginning and the end of the picture of our sanctification. Let me finish by telling you about uh, Ruth Graham. So Ruth Graham was the wife of Billy Graham, who you might have heard of. He was, he was one of the greatest evangelists of history. Uh, he, he served and, and taught the gospel through the middle of the 20th century. And if you were to visit her grave, uh, which is next to his, this is what you'd see. It says, Ruth Bell Graham... 1920 to 2007. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. A long time before her death, she saw that written on a roadwork sign and with, with humour but with seriousness instructed her family that that was how she would be remembered. End of construction. Thank you for your patience. Her husband wrote about it. Every human being is under construction from conception to death. Each life is made up of mistakes and learning, waiting and growing, practicing patience and being persistent. And at the end of construction, death, we have completed the process. That's what God is doing in you. He's constructing something amazing. He's building something incredible. He's weaving a beautiful tapestry. And he's calling you to be part of it. Let me pray for each of us that we would. God, continue to completion the work that you've begun in us. Thank you for setting us apart. Please set us apart. We know you will set us apart. Transform us, make us holy, and do it for your glory. Amen.